It's June 2nd, 2007, and this is The Candid Frame. Well, welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Today's guest is Craig Tanner, one of the three founding members of the Radiant Vista, an organization that provides photographic workshops and one of the best online resources on photography to be found on the web. With the daily photo critique and the photo workbench, they offer one of the richest sources for photo instruction that you'll find and all for free. But the fact that they don't charge for this content is not a reflection of its quality because it's some of the most informative and inspiring information that you're going to find anywhere. Craig himself is a great photographer and educator, and he's talked a lot about his own work and career on his podcast, so I didn't want to repeat um, what he's already discussed on his own show. Instead, I wanted to take it a little further and ask him about things I was personally curious about and that would help me to, to understand him and his work better and why he does what he does. I hope you find the conversation interesting, and if you haven't heard the Radiant Vista podcast already, I suggest you go to their site as soon as you finish this episode and check it out. It'll, it'll be worth your time. And uh, after having participated in one of their workshops a couple of weeks ago, I can highly recommend that you participate in one if you haven't already. It's time and money that's more than well spent. Lastly, I just want to note something about the sound in this interview. We, we conducted, the, conducted the interview in the hallway of a hotel where the workshop was being held. And at some point, one of the hotel workers cleaning a conference room turned on some music. And uh, he wasn't cooperative at all when we asked him to turn down the music. And so we just decided to soldier on. And it's one of the risks you take when you don't have complete control over your recording environment. But I hope that the content more than makes up for it for it and um, so here's our conversation with Craig Tanner okay don't feel like you're going to stay <laughs> I'm going to meet you for dinner <laughs> so what do you uh, want me to do here right? no I'll just, I'll just hold this and you can okay. just talk okay well thank you for the opportunity to come up here it was really great to have a chance to, to be up here and to uh, hear you present you and Mark I thought it was amazing and um, well, one of the things I appreciated it, that it kind of renewed in me was the Association of Photography and Joy. And I want you to talk about that as, as a way to start. I want to start off by saying thanks for, uh, for letting me on the candid frame. Um, and, um, and thanks for last night, just sitting around talking about movies and stuff like that. I had a great time. Um, my connection to joy through photography goes all the way back to um, my uh, myth of talent experience, you know, in 1988 when I uh, had a surgery that didn't go very well, woke up in intensive care, and um, you know, I had this point in my life, this moment where I was like, this might be it. And a huge wake-up call for me and really started to ask myself the question, who am I, what do I like to do, where do I want to be? And um, one of the things that I loved to do at that point in my life was hike and just spend time alone in the woods. And having that wake-up call allowed me to ask myself the question, answer the question, and then actually do something about it. So for me, 
initially getting into photography, it just was a vehicle to put myself in a space uh, where I did find a lot of peace and a lot of joy, which was just hiking by myself. Uh, you know, at the time, I had I was a shy person. I had a lot of social anxiety, and um, the camera gave me uh, an excuse to basically wander around in a wilderness area in the woods by myself. And so my connection to photography from the beginning was about having an experience um, where I, the, the overall experience was the thing that was the most important. And then the more I got into taking pictures, it started to get a little bit better. Um, photography part of it started to become more important. But um, I'm still feeling that. I mean, now I'm starting to photograph people. And a lot of that just has to do with the experience of meeting people on the street and having a connection with somebody and the, the camera is more of a vehicle to have an experience with somebody that I've never met before and to hear their story. The camera helps me to make a connection where it might be more difficult to just walk right up without the camera and say, who are you and what's going on? So in a lot of ways, photography for me has been about giving me a way to have an experience where I'm just, I'm having a lot of fun. It's interesting to see that that there's an there's a initial experience of joy when you first discover photography and you just get shooting and you're going out and you're creating images and there's just a uh, part of it it's just amazing you know and there's a lot of joy associated with that but as as you talked about in the workshop it, it involves you practicing a lot and shooting and becoming familiar with technical issues and then at some point it can turn into that it becomes so focused on the technical that that joy starts getting sucked yeah. out of it and I think what I'm hearing you say in terms of you shooting people is that by challenging yourself and facing some of the things that you're scared of sort of reintroduces that, that joy, that somehow dealing with whatever fear or anxiety you have about trying something new, you kind of rediscover that, that joy in, in being able to create something. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely been happening with my street photography. Ten years ago, for me to go out with my camera and just walk up to people that I didn't know and say, hey, can I take your picture? I would not have done that. And at the time, I was a landscape photographer. And um, as my landscape photography started to improve and I started to get into commercial photography, landscapes, and architectural photography, it did start to sort of become rote and become a job again. And digital uh, changed a lot of things for me four years ago. I started trying a lot of new things because it was free to take a digital picture and I started to shoot 35 millimeter again, uh, shooting landscapes. I had um, gravitated towards the view camera and 4x5 to get published and that sort of led me into commercial work that was 4x5 based. I shot a lot of architecture and I got good at those things technically, and that was a challenge. And for a while, just the challenge of, of uh, learning to light architecture and um, to get proficient with a view camera, that carried me. And then I got to the point where it, it, that started to get empty. And so, uh, yeah, without any doubt, I mean, one of the most exciting things about what's happening now is um, just being in a space where I really... Um, I have a recognition when I'm going out and shooting people on the street that I wouldn't have let myself have this experience 10 years ago. I would have been too afraid to do it. And uh, just being able to make that connection uh, with the camera uh, is huge. I just started this uh, this blog on Light Diary and just looking at those pictures myself where maybe I approach five or six or seven people in an hour and just have the, the courage to just go up and say... Uh, I love your face, or I think you're beautiful, or I think you have an interesting face, or whatever, and make a connection with somebody like that. 
um, right now is is amazing. I mean, just to look at those pictures, it's not an experience I would have let myself have five or six years ago, and, and I wouldn't have been able to do it. It wouldn't have been practical. I was shooting with big cameras that just didn't allow me to uh, to connect like that with somebody. I like about um, that there's oftentimes with some of your images, there's a story that's tied into into the photograph that the, that it isn't so much about the photograph itself about it being a beautiful image and a beautiful print that it's really tied into your experience of, of the moment and I think it's oftentimes missing from uh, a lot of conversation about you know photography is is the actual the experience of not only creating the image but being present in that in that moment in time um, how much of a role does that play in not only your creation of the image, but in, in terms of just sustaining your creative life. One of the things I really want to get into is filmmaking. So for me right now, one of the most exciting things about shooting the way that I'm shooting is I allow myself to become part of a story that I couldn't even imagine. And so just walking up to somebody on the street and doing my street photography, I'll put myself into a position where I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, and. I'd say that's a huge part of what's going on. So it's not just about taking the picture and the picture coming out. Um, it's you know about meeting some guy in Savannah like I did six months ago who just found a ring and took the ring to a pawn shop and sold the ring for a lot of money and then he comes back down on the street and uh, creates this whole experience for people that are just living on the street and to put myself into that, just sort of into that world and hear that story. Um, a lot of a lot of what I'm doing now with my street photography, I think, has a lot to do with the idea of just letting myself be a part of something that's unfolding, and that's uh, inspiration for thinking about the idea of a screenplay or the idea of a story or a whole series of images. So I'd say that's a huge, you know, huge part of what's going on for me creatively. You talk a lot about in, in the seminar about facing fear. For a lot of people, there, there's a fear or anxiety about approaching strangers in the street to photograph or, or making the leap from a job where they may be unhappy with to, to you know, trying to be a professional photographer, a musician, or whatever. Um, and you speak about how being, how you're able, how, what you need to do in order to move past that. But I'm curious, since you speak about that so often, what, what are the things that you're afraid of at this point? Because you're doing things like speaking in front of 180 people and, and approaching strangers on the street, and people look at you and go, they go, you must be fearless, but you're human. So I know that there is some anxiety and, and, and fear that still resides um, in you. You wouldn't be human if, you, if it weren't. But I'm kind of curious as to what, what, some of the struggles that you have in terms of um, your creativity in, in photography or, or with other things? I'd love to be playing the guitar at open mics, but I'm still afraid to do that. So social anxiety that I used to have. I, I'm a biologically shy person, and um, that sort of kind of feeling of panic that comes up with playing the guitar in front of other people. Music is a big thing for me. I play the guitar a lot, so that's a fear I would love to overcome, and I, I keep going up against it and pushing past it just a little bit. That's definitely an area where I have a ton of fear. It just sort of makes my blood run cold to think about doing it. And I still have quite a bit of fear photographing people on the street. You know, it, it sort of comes and goes. There are times when I have to steel myself up and push myself into it. And then once I get going, it becomes really easy. It's sort of like most people um, are just waiting for somebody to break the ice. So once you get going, 
the the experience of each person connecting it just it just gains momentum and it, and it becomes something that's amazing but there are still times when the shyness comes back and I hesitate you know and I'm like wait a minute you know what am I doing here this this particular person is going to say no and um, I, there are still times when I just sort of have to throw myself into it but uh, without any doubt every time I do that you know, there's a reward um, at the other end and the other thing that I would say that I'm afraid of is I'm afraid um, that I won't make some of these you know, dreams that I want to make uh, come true like getting into filmmaking that I won't get around to it and that, that scares me um, that that's something I really want to do. I want to f- finish at least one film, and there are times when I get afraid about that, that staying busy and having all these things happen that I want to get to the next thing or the new thing. So. You guys are doing some amazing things with the Radiant Vista, you know, yeah. starting it off as a way of just being able to give away all this knowledge and, and, and experience that you guys have, have had. And I think it's probably one of the most dynamic presences in, on the internet as far as photography is concerned. Wow, thanks. And um, what's been one of the more gratifying things of, of, of having that in terms of the response that you're getting from people as a result of, of putting it out there? Because I know you, you proposed that to someone else who you were working with and they're very resistant to it. And I know that it's helped in terms of, of the workshops that you're doing. But personally, what what is it given you that you didn't expect or that you were surprised by? I tell you what, I did not expect that that it's given all of us. It's given me and Matt and Mark, and we talked about this a lot. Is what we didn't expect that uh, a year and a half later, two years later, we expected that it would help to promote workshops. What I never could have imagined is that uh, most of the people that come to our workshops now know about the website. So Matt uh, Gibson and I just did a workshop on Jekyll Island where we we had a full workshop. We had 14 people that that came to the workshop and we knew of a couple of people that contribute regularly to our community forum, but there were 12 people that took that workshop that were taking a workshop for the first time uh, from Radiant Vista. Matt and I had never met them, but because of the website and the way it's set up where someone uh, gets the content, and the content includes hearing us speak, so you get a real sense of where we're coming from. When they get to the workshop, they have a feeling that they already know who you are. And so when I used to teach for other schools, teach for some great places, some of those places I still teach, they do their own marketing, and they attract people into the workshop that may just be coming to the workshop because they want to go to a national park that they like. And you have to sort of work to win them over or gain their trust. And what what I haven't expected and what's been amazing in the last year is that that part is sort of already taken care of because of the website and the nature of the content. So really all you have to do is be yourself. People come to the workshop bought in and the group energy after three or four days is incredible. I mean, you have a group of people that are so connected and there's such a powerful connection uh, that things are happening on our workshops that I never could have imagined in terms of developing a closeness to people on the workshops and just the group energy. I think uh, that's the part that that just has has blown me away. But, you know, particularly in the last six months, and I've talked to uh, to Mark quite a bit about the same thing, and I think he's blown away by it too. You know, with all the work that you're doing in terms of the the workshops and the teaching, people will think, oh, you must spend all this time shooting. But I know that in terms of being able to maintain, you know, maintain the whole 
you know, radiant vista the business in terms of the workshops and the content for the website, then it must make it a real challenge for you to go out there and just just shoot. I would yeah. think so. How do you contend with that? Because I think a lot of listeners um, struggle with that. You know, they're working full time jobs, they have families, and how do you make time, even despite the fact that all your work is photo related, to go out there and do what you know, create the images that you you want. I think one of the things that's changed for me a lot in the last five or six years is when I switched to digital, I was already shooting people, but almost all of that was in the context of advertising photography. When you switch to digital and you don't have the expense associated with taking a picture anymore, you're much more likely to, to photograph in situations that may be less than ideal. And I, I think one of the ways that I make that happen now is to try and take my camera, have it with me all the time, and to be willing to photograph uh, at any point. And I think the other thing, too, is uh, I love to photograph, and I'm very driven. I don't really know quite why, all the reasons why I'm so driven, but I do try and squeeze in shooting whenever I can. I love to shoot. And, um, you know, we did a workshop in Death Valley National Park, and I had three or four days where I could have slept in, but I didn't. I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning on the days that we had off, and I went out and I pushed as hard as I could possibly go to photograph my own work. So part of it is just going and going and going. And, and, uh, and I, I love photography, so the idea of a break to me is playing my guitar or something, but even in my time off, I'm thinking about shooting. I think the biggest thing that's changed for me when it comes to that is digital um, and also the fact that I'm shooting people now. If, if I'm somewhere where there are not a lot of people, I love to shoot landscapes, and I'll shoot that. But traveling, I run into a lot of people now, and I'm uh, constantly um, coming up with an excuse to photograph a person. Um, and, and that has really helped in terms of doing a lot of personal work. I feel like I'm producing more work than I ever have. And, and the other thing that's happened for me is I've really cut back on my commercial work, and that's, that's created more space and more energy uh, for me to shoot personal work. Well, that's, that's sort of interesting that you're taking um, less commercial work because I think a lot of the people, when they aspire to become photographers, is the whole idea of being able to make a living yeah. from their photography. And, and I know that there's several professional photographers that listen to the show, and oftentimes it gets to the point where... Um, Photography, though it may have been a fun thing, is turned into a, a business. Yeah. And they struggle with the fact that you know they have to ex- accept this commercial job, which may be less than gratifying creatively. Yeah. But in order to meet all the you know all their commitments, financial obligations, they have to take that be able to take the work. Yeah. What do you have to say to them? You know, because they're they're saying, oh yeah, that's great. You know, you have. You know, Craig has sort of has this perfect world as compared to me. Um, I can't see myself, you know, making those kind of choices. I have a mortgage, I have a car payment, yeah. I got a college kid that's about ready to college. But you know, they they may see it as a difficult thing, if not an outright impossibility. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. I wouldn't I'd be real careful about saying something to somebody else in terms of what they can or can't do. I mean, everybody sort of knows what they need to, how much money they need to make to cover themselves or whatever. I mean, there are a couple of things I would say about my own situation. Turning down commercial work has been fairly easy for me because I live very simply. I also make good money for me as a teacher, and um, and I'm still doing a little bit of commercial work. 
and um, I'm in a fortunate place where I don't have to make a ton of money. I got caught up in doing commercial work and I was making more money than I needed. And a lot of that was just, it was a challenge and it was exciting. I got great feedback from my clients, but I woke up at some point and said, really when it comes down to it, the meaning or the underlying purpose behind this isn't really feeding my soul and it is wearing me out and it's making me tired. So for me, it's pretty easy to cut back on my commercial work. I don't have a lifestyle where I have to keep doing that commercial work. I was able to let go of it, and I think that's a big thing. I think, you know, people, you have to make choices. If you're not independently wealthy, uh, you might have to, uh, you know, uh, not have a new car or not have three new cars or have two houses or whatever. Uh, you can become a slave to lifestyle. That's part of it. And the other thing that I do believe is I believe that if you put your passion first and you put purpose first and you start to get purpose connected to helping other people, um, that things work out, that help comes in. I do believe that. I think it's a fallacy that you're going to do all these things and collect all these things and all this money and then you'll get around to doing the thing that's closest to your heart or that helps somebody. I think that that's a backwards way of, uh, of looking at it. And Radio Invista has been a great example of that. You know, I mean, uh, the reality is we're at a place in terms of abundance for the people that are contributing. At this point, it's really just a matter of saying, in terms of content, um, what, what do we want to offer that's, uh, that's a value that people would be willing to pay for that goes beyond the free content? And we're looking at doing that. So... Um, I think it's complicated. Each person has to figure that out. I know for me that a big part of my situation is living simply um, so that I can simply live in the areas of my life where it's really connected to living from my heart. And, um, and, and that, that's a big part of it. You know, there's, um, especially now with the, with the digital age, there's so much enthusiasm and a lot of excitement about photography and the possibilities that, that it's opening up. You know, the advances in Photoshop and the camera technology. And it, it seems, especially when I hear some of the questions in, in, the, uh, in, in the workshop, that there seems to be a real focus on, on the technical. Yeah. You know, and I think people get very easily lost in that, thinking that they have to understand everything technically first. Yeah. before they can actually go out there and start being creative. That somehow, because they don't know some bit of information that somehow their creativity is going to be stifled. Yeah. And I don't think uh, that that's really the case, because I've seen people with virtually no technology able to create great things. But what do you think is sort of important for a photographer who's maybe feeling that uh, need to do in, or think in order to be able to move past that? Yeah, I think they just need to, uh, to, to realize that if they're not taking a picture, <laughs> there's there's not the possibility for getting a great shot and you have to produce and I think a lot of that is fear talking and then there are all kinds of pieces that you can make from just getting started one of my favorite quotes is now is the entry point and um, I think productivity and being involved in process is a huge deal I mean in some respects I'm doing that now as far as getting into video I keep sort of telling myself I need to know this that or the other and then when I talk to my friends that are already filmmakers they say no Craig what you need to do is make a 30 second film and anybody can do that and then make a minute long film and then make a minute and a half long film and I think that you get rewarded by doing um, I, so I do understand those fears because I come up against them but I think most of the time it is a mechanism that sort of keeps you from putting yourself into a situation where 
you know, if you make a choice to look at each individual effort as something that is uh, very important instead of looking at the whole process, looking at the whole story, it's pretty easy to say, well, I can use this as, as an excuse to keep from going out and falling flat on my face. When I get to the point where technically I'm totally in control, then I'll really go crazy. And it's the same thing with me playing the guitar. It's sort of like trying to say, when I get to the point where I can get up and perform flawlessly, then I'll go and perform. But the only way you're ever going to get to the point of performing flawlessly is to have a bunch of performances where you forget the words or freak out or have a panic attack. And that's the uncomfortable part that we're all sort of uh, trying to keep from dealing with. But if you're going to continue to grow and go past your fears, the reason most people don't live a life that's filled like that is it takes a lot of courage to continue to fall on your face, fall on your face, look stupid, and deal with that discomfort. It's really, it's uncomfortable. It's, this remains uncomfortable. There's no artist Shangri-La where you get to the point where you're impervious to that. Yeah. You know, it's just, it remains uh, difficult. And you just have to keep saying, you know what, in the past, this has been rewarding to have these experiences where I'm in a beginner situation or I fall flat on my face. All of the good stuff has come out of this. And so here I go again. I'm just going to steal myself up and throw myself back into the whirling dervish and, and undo it. Yeah. yeah, It's interesting that you've been shooting you know, landscape and architectural stuff for a long time you know, and making the transition to, to shooting a lot, of, a lot of people. Yeah. And oftentimes people... You know, um, say, well, I'm just a landscape photographer, or I'm just a close-up photographer, yeah. and they just kind of pursue that, and that's all that they end up end up doing. Um, what What have you learned from your from your uh, expansion of what you end up shooting, um, and how have, has your experience in terms of landscape and architecture helped you to explore what you're doing with people? Oh man. Um I tell you, when it comes to the landscape and architecture, I'd say that those shooting in those two veins helped me understand light a lot. Gave me a great understanding of light. In landscape photography, you don't control the light, so you have to learn to see light. And in architecture, um, you do a lot of lighting. And, uh, and, and they're, they're, they're two pursuits that have a lot in common. Um, a lot of shots are wide angle and they're complicated with a lot of subject matter, but they both rely heavily if you're shooting wide landscapes and wide interiors they both uh, rely heavily on having a real powerful sense of lighting and I'd say that seeing light and understanding light is probably the main thing that, that I've taken forward from shooting landscapes and architecture and the other thing that I'd say about shooting those two things is they can be very technically demanding and tedious so one neat thing about doing that for a long time is that shooting people has been completely freeing because when you're shooting people I do. I am concerned about technique, and I am concerned about color, and I am concerned about lighting and visual design. But the cool thing about shooting a person is a person can do something that that reflects emotion that overwhelms all that other technical stuff. To me, it's the one area of photography where a person, the, the light of a person's emotion and expression, can overwhelm technical problems. And so it's another. It, it's not an. It's not really so much of an issue of landscape and architecture helping me to see that. It's sort of the issue of saying that shooting landscape and architecture makes it really joyful for me to be shooting a person and understand that I can get everything technically wrong, but if somebody has a moment where they exp 
express emotion in a real powerful way that it can trump all of those things. And to mm-hmm. me, that's that's pretty amazing. In th- I was the uh, interview that I just did this week was with Joel Gray, right? Who's known more as an as an actor and a performer, singer and dancer. And he talked about how he's recognized mostly for his performances as, as a performer. You know, as an as you know, as an actor, and that when people you know, find out he's a photographer, they're kind of surprised, right? You know, and saying, and he says it's it's sort of like, well, prove it to me, you know, prove it <laughs> to me that you're more than talented in right. one thing, because you can only be talented in in one thing, right? Know? And you know, your interest is in filmmaking and, and in terms of you know, um, you know, playing guitar and in your music, and it's I'm, I'm wondering how how. For you, I think it's pretty clear that this is just a sort of a, um, a different avenue for your creativity. Right. But you know, how do you how do you contend with that? Here you have a certain experience level in terms of photography, and then a different experience level in terms of your music or with filmmaking. And how do you, how do you just sort of deal with that? Because it's it's scary. I mean, I. I uh, had a, a real well-known commercial film director that took one of my workshops, and he kind of said the same thing. He said, you know, Craig, you're, you're in your mid-40s, and uh, you have some reputation as a teacher and a still photographer, and you really can't afford to go out and make a bad film. You know, you're at a point where you can't afford to do that. And, you know, I just don't agree with that. I, I, <laughs> if, if I make a first film, it probably won't be that great. I'll just have to go through that. I do think it is a matter of getting some perspective and saying, if I start to try and break everything down to this one action or this one choice, man, it can just completely shut you down. But I think one of the things that I like to do when I start to do that is look at the the story that I've been in so far. And there was a point where I didn't take pictures at all, and then I woke up in intensive care and had a bad experience with the surgery. And then uh, six months later, taking pictures is is, uh, now is what is saying, uh, I'm saying that's going to define me. So I can definitely look back and say, you can reinvent yourself. You, you can at any moment say, I either want to reinvent myself or I want to add this to the mix of what I'm doing. But you do have to be willing to be a beginning filmmaker, an intermediate filmmaker, you have to be willing to go through those steps. And when, when you let go of the idea of having to be perfect um, and you say, this is what I want to do. So if I'm doing it, then everything is great. I think they can makes it easier. It's still difficult when, when you know, a lot of times when you get feedback and, and people are like, Are you crazy? When you're gonna get into filmmaking, you know, when you're forty five years old, it can be difficult to go past that. You just have to give yourself a reality check and say, I've done this before. Mm-hmm. I've reinvented myself before I could do it again. You talk about the, the surgery being sort of a pivotal point for you, but I think there's there was a lot that sort of led up to that moment as well. Yeah. And I'm wondering how how you growing up where you did in, in, in Atlanta in the South, yeah. which has a real strong tradition of, of storytelling, yeah, and and yeah. just at a very appreci- much of appreciation for culture and history, has helped develop you not only in terms of a photographer but in in your desire to connect with people in, in the way that you did. Yeah, man, no one has ever asked me that. That's a really good question. I'm a little bit disconnected from my family, but my family and, and a lot of things in my family has had a real profound effect on me. I'd say there are a couple of things about that. Um, as a kid, we moved when I went into elementary school, and we moved to this uh, incredible street, this little cul-de-sac, that backed up to uh, 500 acres of undeveloped land. It was caught up in this land dispute. A developer wanted to develop it and had a wetlands and everything. And for 15 years, um, 
it was undeveloped and it was a paradise and um, had a, somewhat of a challenging childhood like a lot of people, not, not the perfect situation. I had a grandmother who lived to be 97 years old and she stayed with us quite a bit and she uh, encouraged me to go into those woods and to walk in the woods as a way to sort of recharge myself and uh, I did that quite a bit. So that definitely had a profound effect on my life. I think about that a lot. I, I, I didn't think about photography or art, I just walked around in the woods. but being in nature and just enjoying uh, the sound of the wind and the trees or sitting on a creek or whatever really became a part of me becoming recharged and healing myself. And then the other thing is uh, that uh, my dad is a big storyteller. He's, he's, uh, he, he was a salesperson and he could tell a great story and uh, I know that that had a profound effect on me. I don't think about it a lot, but it definitely had an effect on me. And I think there is a tradition uh, in the South. I think there is a cultural tradition of, uh, of storytelling that may be different uh, than other places and, and, and joke telling. And there were other people when I was a kid that I met that, that were storytellers. There was an uncle of a friend of mine who was president of a storytellers association. And I always was just completely enthralled with the idea of story. And the other thing too, I think when you're a kid and you're in a challenging situation, that the idea of uh, escape um, and the idea of escape through storytelling is really powerful. I can remember uh, being taken to the Fox Theater when I was a kid. They used to have, uh, play movies there, and I fell in love with the movies when I was a really young kid. And um, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but I can remember going to the Fox Theater and just thinking, just get completely lost and go into another world. And think all of that has had a huge effect, but it's sort of the background stuff that I don't think about that much. Mm. Well, as you know, the last question I ever ask is for each guest to recommend another photographer for listeners to explore and check out. So who would that be for you and why? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the rule and do two, if I can. I don't know if anybody's ever done that. Um, a lot of people already know this photographer, but uh, David Munch just had like such a huge impact on me when I was uh, shooting landscapes. So if you're listening and you don't know the work of David Munch, then check out David. One of the joys of my life is I got to assist David on a workshop in the Tetons at uh, the Rocky Mountain School of Photography, which is great. Uh, uh, they, they sponsored that workshop. So I got to hang out with David for four days. and. Uh, that that was amazing. He he, the passion that he still has for doing the work that he does just had a profound impact on me, and his images. Um, he's uh, probably the most imitated landscape photographer, uh, maybe the most imitated photographer of all time. So if imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, then you know he should be extremely flattered. A lot of people have copied his style. And he also has had an enormous impact on uh, preservation, you know, just of the land and the national park system. His body of work and just all of those years of doing what he does blows my mind. And then to meet him and have him be a gentle person, somebody that to me was like Santa Claus. He just was so happy. He seemed like a five-year-old kid when I met him. It was like he had just got his first camera. And this was the greatest thing that had ever happened. It's hard for me to even talk about it. I almost get emotional thinking about driving around with him in the Tetons. And then the other, one of my other favorite photographers is Sebastião Salgado. Um, his work of people and the fact that he's connected his work to trying to uh, you know, lessen suffering uh, in the world and also the fact that 
he's made a decision to uh, photograph people in very challenging situations but glorify them and uh, to bring a level of grace and dignity into it where you may be looking at people that are in a horrifying situation but he still photographs people so that there's grace and dignity and it's beautiful and it encourages you to look at something that you you might otherwise say this is too painful you know I'll look away um, I just read something uh, in Rolling Stone where he he's now shooting landscapes because he said doing the work that he's done has been so emotionally draining on him for a long time that he's recharging by shooting things that are just purely beautiful and I think that that says a lot about him as a person that he was willing to uh, to put himself in those situations for so long that would be challenging for anybody uh, but his his work to me is, is just amazing the other thing that I'll say about Sebastian Salgado is his commitment to spending time with people not just the idea of walking up which I do a lot of times on the street and then you walk away he would learn a new language and spend weeks or maybe months with a group of people and become part of the group um, so so his commitment you know, to the work that he's done is amazing well thank you Craig it's been a real pleasure to, to, to have the opportunity to interview you and to hang out up here with you and uh to get to know you better. It's been hey, uh, Brian, I feel the same way. Um, it's so awesome to hang out. And uh, last night, just sitting around talking about writing and movies, and it's totally inspiring. And I feel super fortunate to be part of the Candid Frame, and I'm really grateful to you for for what you're doing. You're another one of these people that's you're doing this for free. And um, you know, uh, the interviews in the Candid Frame are inspiring people, and they're helping people. It's an incredible service, and I'm felt very, very lucky to be a part of it. Well, thank you. And thank you for the Mexican music somewhere back in the background. <laughs> well, thank you again for joining me for another episode of the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Till next time, this is Ivarian X. Perella, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.